0: Hey guys, what's up? It's Corey from Lean Green Dad Radio, and this week's episode of Lean Green Dad Radio is sponsored by Four Sigmatic Mushroom Coffee. Yes, it's mushroom coffee, folks. It does not taste like mushrooms. It's absolutely incredible. It's my new favorite thing. I'm not joking. I only work with brands that I love, that I trust. If you want to try it yourself, you can. I am drinking right now the Mushroom Mocha Mix with Chaga and Cacao. And man, it is amazing. No jitters, no crash, no stomach problems. It's just great. ForSigmatic.com, F O U R, sigmatic.com slash lean green dad. That'll give you a chance to try this awesome product with medicinal mushrooms for 15% off. ForSigmatic.com slash lean green dad. Here we go.
1: It occurred to me many, many years ago that the way that we buy everything except for medicine involves some type of informed, meaningful informed consent process. And and I don't buy this business that medicine is so complicated that people can't be informed. In other words, I'm not a contractor, but I've managed to buy houses and live in them.
0: That was the voice of Dr. Pam Popper. And this is Lean Green Dad Radio. Let's go. Hey everybody, welcome to Lean Green Dad Radio. Hey everybody, welcome to Lean Green Dad Radio.
1: From sunny Orlando, Florida, this is Lean Green Dad Radio, the podcast that provides fuel for families. And now, here's your host, Corey Warren.
0: What's up everybody and welcome to this second season, season 2 of Lean Green Dad Radio. We are proud to be brought to you by the Parents on Demand network, which is an app with a ton of great parental podcasts. So make sure you go check them out over at parentsondemand.com. In fact, there is the Crunchy Supermom show. You got to check them out. Sarah and Mandy over at uh, crunchysupermom.com. They're pretty cool. So go check out that show. And, um, gosh, what are we talking about today, guys? You know, we already mentioned our wonderful sponsor, for Sigmatic, so I think it's time for you to meet me. Uh, who am I? Well, my name is Corey, and if it's your first time joining us, then welcome. If you've tuned in before, you rock. I love you. Thank you so much. Uh, as you know, that uh, by tuning in and spending some time with me, uh, we're going to have a lot of fun together. In fact, uh, if you're able to, I would love it. It would mean the world to me if you would go on and you would consider leaving a review in iTunes. That is the lifeblood of this podcast. It what It's what keeps us, you know, relevant. It's what keeps us going. It keeps me mega happy. So that would mean a lot to me. Um, so yeah, like I said, my name is Corey. I'm a husband, a, a vegan dad, and I'm a podcast host, obviously, uh, who creates plant-based meal plans. And uh, these quick and easy vegan meal plans—they they help make a plant-based diet for kids simple. Each week, I get to talk to some of the most inspiring folks that I can find to help keep me motivated to stay fit, eat healthy, and really get the most out of my life as a busy parent. See, for me, finding time to work out and make healthy, quick meals for me and my family, all while spending quality time together, can be really hard when we overschedule ourselves. So by me getting a chance to talk to some of these folks, I hope that you will take away some gold nuggets of inspiration, some quick tips that you can use in your life to keep you and your family going strong all right let's get into today's guest who do we have well uh as you know we always have folks that are just geniuses in their area of expertise and this is dr pam popper uh how did i find pam well she came to me from my friend rip Esselstyn. you all know rip from the engine 2 diet forks over knives all these wonderful movies And um, Pam, you know, she spoke to me because I found out some information that she had published on ulcerative colitis. And you all know my wife suffers from ulcerative colitis, so I thought this was an excellent opportunity for us to talk. So uh, I reached out, and here we are. We've got her. It's going to be great. I'm super excited about it, and I'm happy to bring it to you. She runs uh, Wellness Forum Health. You can check them out over at wellnessforumhealth.com. So without any further ado, here is Dr. Pam Popper. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Lean Green Dad. I'm so glad to have you here. And we have a very special guest with us today. Her name is Dr. Pam Popper, and she works with the Wellness Forum Health. That is the name of her company. Welcome to the show, Pam.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: Yes, we have a a mutual friend in Rip Esselstyn who sent me your way. So I'm just so honored to have you on. I know you're a very busy woman. So thank you for taking the time.
1: Well, you're welcome. And I'm a very big fan of the Esselstyns. You know, I mentioned to you before we started, I just think that they're, they make this all look like so much fun. They are just, (laughs) there's the entertainment, there's science, there's everything, great food. So I just love being around them, you know? It's
0: true, it's true. They're a crazy bunch, but that's why we love them.
1: Right. Um, So at Wellness Forum Health, you talk
0: about a lot of different things. And one of the main things for me that really just sung to me is the fact that you teach and educate patients on how to take their health into their own hands by being a well-informed patient. Can you talk a little bit about what that means and some steps that someone can take to help educate themselves, some resources they can look into so that they're not just going to the doctor and saying, Tell me what's wrong with me, tell me how to fix myself
1: right Well, we have a, a horrific problem in medicine right now, and, and I don't think that's a big surprise, but I think this, the size of the problem is surprising to people. Um, medicine is the third largest uh, third leading cause of death in the United States, and that's just counting what goes on in a hospital in an inpatient facility, not what goes on outside of the facility. Mm. Um, and so at about 94% of what we do in medicine is not supported by evidence. And so as a result of that, when I show up for work every day, one of the things that I know now I never would have. And then you can fill in the blank. It might be, I never would have taken the supplement, or I never would have done a paleo diet, or I never would have had this screening test, or I never would have had this procedure done or taken this drug. And so it occurred to me many, many years ago that the way that we buy everything except for medicine involves some type of informed, meaningful informed consent process. And, And I don't buy this business that medicine is so complicated that people can't be informed. In other words, I'm not a contractor, but I've managed to buy houses and live in them, okay? And I'm not an auto mechanic, but I have bought cars and, and been able to make a decision about it. So, so should, people should buy medicine and healthcare the same way, where they have some idea of the risks and benefits and, you know, other options and that sort of thing before they proceed so that we get out of this if I knew them what I know now. So what we do is we teach people Um, not only the things that they need to do to achieve optimum health, such as, you know, eat a great diet and exercise and all that sort of thing. There's a lot to that, too. But we also teach them how to not get hurt by bad ideas that aren't supported by science. And we teach people how to look at the medical literature and uh, the messages that they're getting, whether it's coming through on Facebook or whether it's published in the New England Journal of Medicine, and figure out, is this a good idea or a bad idea for me? And the thing that 's kind of amazing, and I never get tired, I never get tired of two things here. One is people getting well? The other thing is when people report the stories of going back to see their physicians, some of whom have very important physicians in major medical centers and saying i 've been looking at what you 're advising me to do, and i don 't think it 's a good idea and I will be happy to explain to you why and In many cases, they tell me that they are informing their doctors not only of their choices but information that their doctors are not aware of. And so you get out of that cycle of just doing what people say. And I, I tell people all the time to come here, doing what I say instead of what somebody else says, that doesn't really change the dynamic much. You've got to do what you say after you look at the information and know how to interpret it. And uh, so that's what it's all about. Now, there's a lot more to talk about in terms of the depth of that, but that's the general idea.
0: I think that there, there, there's some power in taking ownership for, what's going on in your own body, right? Um, you know, my wife has ulcerative colitis and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, that's kind of what drew me to you uh, is your your understanding and extensive research done on the subject. But can we talk about when when disease does show its ugly head? Um, how much of that is genetic and how much of that is due to lifestyle? And I know that's a very, very broad question. So there's not a maybe a specific answer, but uh, What I'm getting at here is there's got to be something that ties into lifestyle. And I I feel like even though we hear that some diseases might be, a, a portion of them might be genetic, that it's a very small amount compared to the lifestyle. Would that be accurate?
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and even in situations where people have a, a genetic predisposition, whether or not they're going to develop disease depends upon their behavior. And, and the way that it works is this. You can have a very strong genetic predisposition to develop an autoimmune disease or cardiovascular disease, for example, and your good habits will override the genetic predisposition. You can also have a great genetic profile. Long life and health runs in your family. And if you misbehave enough, you will override those good genes and induce disease anyway. Um, Now, what I find very interesting is the more you look into genetic predisposition, the more you find out how really tiny the risk is for most people. There are a handful of people who have been given a pretty bad genetic hand. But but even women who have the gene mutations that pre, predispose them to develop uh, breast cancer, we now know that the death rates between women who do and don't have mastectomy are the same. In other words, um, they're, they're, that the genetic predisposition isn't as strong as it has been represented to be. And the reason I think this is really important information to get out to people is that we have a lot of, People feeling like victims because they didn't get to choose their genes. And gosh, if that's what it's all about, you know, why try? Um, And we really want to shift that dynamic to why try is because the genes don't matter as much as you trying uh, to achieve optimal health.
0: Right. It's it's fascinating, and uh, thank you for that. I I I can't get over the fact that you can actually, if you have a great gene gene pool, and you're blessed to have this great you know bag of genes, and You go off to like college or something like that. You've lived your life incredibly healthy and you go off to college and you just have a blast where you're just drinking and eating, you know, fast food garbage all the time. You can actually override those those good genes that you have and and send yourself into trouble. And I guess conversely, if you have bad genes. Um, can you override those and kind of take those over and make it a good situation for yourself? Uh,
1: absolutely. I mean, I'm a good example. Um, all the women in my, on my mother's side of the family um, have a history, long history. Uh, rheumatoid arthritis by the time they're in their 50s. I'm 61. Mm. I don't have it. Um, obesity runs on my mother's side of the family. I don't have it now. I'm an overachiever, so I think if I decided to misbehave, probably within a year or so, I could develop some rheumatoid arthritis and um, gain a lot of weight, that sort of thing. But you know, I don't. I, having watched all of that, my mother died a horrible death at the age of 78, which was you know very short in terms of she had a very short life in terms of what her lifespan should have been. Um, I, I'm strongly motivated. I, I've always said that my family is the scared straight program for staying on track. All you have to do is show up for a holiday dinner with my gang and my father and I eat this diet. He's lean. He weighs what he weighed when he graduated from college and takes no drugs at the age of 87. So there's the two of us and then there's everybody else. And looking at everybody else for a while, you can be very motivated to go straight to the gym after dinner and eat your vegan diet after that.
0: Oh, no. And how, how is that situation, that family dynamic? That's got to be a, a struggle every every Thanksgiving, every
1: It's not. It's, it's not, not it's
0: but not was happening. it at first? Because with us, I know it was right when we started this diet, people were like, what the heck, you know, in our family, what's going on here? Yeah. They didn't know what well, the
1: thing. first thing that I always tell everybody, I did, I made a lot of mistakes in the beginning. And one of them was I, I decided that I was going to show everybody the way to eat because I was so excited about it and all that. And I, and I have just learned to be quiet and wait for teachable moments. The other thing that I tell people is that everybody, and this is part of the dynamic. Um, and so looking at it from other people's points of view, most people have had lots of friends family members that went off on some dietary tangent and it lasted six weeks and then it went away. So we come along and we announce announced that we're now going to be eating differently and people are pretty sure that in six weeks it's going to go away. So nobody is pretty, is interested in accommodating you or anything like that because why bother if this is just going to all go away in a really short period of time. So I've been doing this now for 24 years. I think I've been eating this way and now none of my friends and family would ever not take into consideration the way that I eat. So I'll go to one of my friend's house that I mean, these people do not eat a healthy diet. But if they're having a party or something, the first thing my friend will do is say, okay, come over here. You can have this, you can have this, you can have this. This has a little bit of oil in it, I'll let you choose. Don't touch anything else. And so that's very different than the way it was when I first changed my diet. Um, I belong to a book club and we take turns. Like if it's your month to choose a book, you choose the restaurant. People always say, you know, they know I'm the vegan in the group. And so people will say, I called this restaurant and I looked at the menu online and they have lots of things for you to eat. You know, so um, everybody's very accommodating now because 24 years later, I don't think anybody thinks this is some kind of fat I'm going to get over.
0: Right. Right, Exactly. exactly. It's It's easier easier. than ever to eat this way. I feel like nowadays there's so many different meat substitutes, although those aren't incredibly healthy. But, you know, someone's trying to jump on board this lifestyle. it, It makes it a little bit easier than it was, like you said, 20 years ago.
1: And I don't think you can operate a restaurant anymore if you don't cater to people like me. And surprisingly enough, everybody's always asking about, um, like I live in Columbus, Ohio, and people will say, well, how, how are the vegan restaurants there? We have, we have a couple of really great ones, you know, but, but we don't have as many vegan restaurants as you might expect in a city of a million and a half people, like the greater area, Columbus area. However, what we do have is you can eat like you and I eat any place you go. And people do not realize steakhouses are great places for people like you and I. And the reason is they have these great big salads. You just leave off the cheese and the bacon and that kind of stuff. And then um, they have big baked potatoes and huge servings of broccoli. And you just tell them, don't put any of the sauces and stuff on it. And uh, and it's whole food. You know, it's not casseroles and all that kind of stuff. It's whole food. So people are shocked when they say, you know, I really want to go to such and such a steakhouse. I go, hey, I'm in. Those are great places. To what? Yeah, they really are. Steakhouses are great for vegans.
0: That's great. That's that's the the quote that we're going to use for promoting this episode. Okay, That's <laughs> going to get the word house.
1: out. That'll make
0: people click for sure. Um, OK, let's let's kind of transition selfishly towards uh, IBD and uh inflammatory bowel disease mm-hmm. my wife suffers from ulcerative colitis she was diagnosed six months prior before uh, our marriage uh we've been married 11 years now and she's had two major flares uh both tied to the pregnancy of our first and third child we adopted our second so there were no issues there um so you know there's a lot of there's a lot of hormones going on there's a lot of things happening during uh surrounding a pregnancy and um but we believe that our lifestyle of this whole food plant-based diet, mostly whole food plant-based, I say vegan, but uh, mostly whole food plant-based diet has contributed to getting her back on track and into the remission state that she is in. But she's also mm-hmm. uh, worked very closely with her doctor, her GI doctor, to make sure that um, you know if she does take medication, there's a plan for that, right? Um, when things spin so far out of control have to get them back on track and then slowly work your way back into your normal, your new normal. Um, Can we start by talking about what inflammatory bowel disease is and also how that kind of ties into leaky gut syndrome? Because I think there's a lot of confusion around that.
1: Okay, well let's, um, let's talk about inflammatory bowel disease. It's an autoimmune disease, all right? And, and we should have some general conversation about the causation of autoimmune disease because it's far more complicated than say type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is pretty simple. You eat terrible food, you gain weight, you become diabetic, you stop eating the bad food, you lose weight, the diabetes goes away. Provided you're not a binge eater and you're not taking drugs that promote weight gain and that sort of thing. Okay, so it's pretty simple. Uh, not easy to do, I don't want to confuse those things, but, but it's a simple concept and we don't really have to spend a lot of time on it. Autoimmune disease is quite different by its very nature. Um, it, it is somewhat reliant on diet, but not entirely. And people can eat a, a very excellent diet like you and I do. And without some additional dietary restriction and without some additional treatment, and by doing some other things that are not such a good idea, they can end up in equally bad shape, all right? So the first thing is, let's, let's look at the genetic um, predisposition. It's a very small thing about the, the biggest, uh, the highest concordance of disease in siblings, for example, would be psoriasis at 17%. For IBD, it's a little over 1%. So we know it's not genetics so much. Um, you you said something very important when that was that your wife's condition changed uh, when she was pregnant, and so 78% of all autoimmune diseases are diagnosed in in uh, women, and estrogen plays a very very strong role. Low androgen levels, high estrogen levels play a very very high role. So women who are overweight. Uh, because that affects your estrogen levels. Women who eat dairy products, because that affects your estrogen levels. Um, Women who have irregular menstrual periods take birth control pills. Women who are menopausal and take hormone replacement therapy. These are all things that that increase your risk of of, um, having any autoimmune disease, including um, IBD. Uh, Vaccinations play a major role. Any serial infections, serial bacterial infections, serial viral infections make make a difference. Um, So uh, then hence the uh, connection with vaccinations, because vaccination perturbs the immune system in the same way that serial bacterial infections and viral infections perturb the immune system. So um, a patient who has autoimmune disease and and does all the right things and becomes asymptomatic can send the whole thing downhill with uh, one flu shot for example. So um, autoimmune patients are real bad candidates for vaccinations and that that should be taken into consideration. Um, Allergies and asthma are precursor uh, conditions and the reason is because this is the first sign that your immune system is starting to misbehave. You see the definition of an autoimmune disease is that your body's immune system no longer can tell the difference between you and not you and also starts to become more interested in your tissue than invading bacteria and viruses and that sort of thing. So when your body is more interested in uh, mold and pollen than it is in waiting for a real invader, this is a sign that something's wrong. So we take allergies kind of seriously in this office because we look at them as a sign that things are not good with the immune system and need to be fixed. So those are some precursor conditions. Then you pile on diet. So diet can have a strong effect to slow down the effect of all these things that I'm talking about, that's usually not the way it works. What happens is people eat a lot of refined foods, dairy products, too much animal food. And so you exist and if you're obese or overweight, if you carry extra pounds, you exacerbate things because you're in a high state of inflammation all the time. Your fat cells pump out inflammatory cytokines. And so this starts to damage the gut bacteria. And of course, if you've taken a few rounds of antibiotics for infections and that sort of thing, you can wipe out all of your gut bacteria with one broad spectrum antibiotic, Why is that important? Because your gut bacteria control your immune system. They control the absorption of nutrients from food. Uh, they keep things out of the bloodstream that shouldn't be getting into the bloodstream. So that's the leaky gut condition that you mentioned earlier. All right. Right, right. So um, anyway, this whole soupy mess, in other words, I very seldom see somebody who has an autoimmune disease, we'll get to IBD specifically in a second here, um, who hasn't had several of those factors. They'll say, yeah, come to think of it, my menstrual periods were always irregular. I was placed on birth control pills when I was in high school. And yeah, I am carrying 25 extra pounds. And I have had allergies for a long time. So you usually see, and I'm fully vaccinated and I get a flu shot every year. So you usually see a combination of these things and you have to address them all because if you eat perfectly and you don't deal with the rest of it, um, you will have flares from time to time. And eventually it will become a continually progressing disease. Now, what IBD is, inflammatory bowel disease, the two main categories are ulcerative colitis and Crohn's. Um, Ulcerative colitis is limited to the lower GI tract. Crohn's, the, the inflammation, can be any place in the GI tract. It doesn't really matter to a certain extent because the causes and the solutions are the same regardless of which one you have. Um, In a perverse, I I can't even believe it's on the website, but the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation um, has a little piece on their website saying that the colitis patients are, um, they can be cured by removing the colon. Whereas the Crohn's patients, you can't remove the whole GI tract. So they're suggesting that they might be at just a little bit of a disadvantage. Well, I don't know. I think wearing a colostomy bag kind of puts you at a disadvantage. I don't know that we look at that as a win. But um, anyway, the the gut becomes inflamed, um, and uh, under normal circumstances, your immune system knows that not only should it leave your own body tissues alone, but the bacteria in the gut, provided it's still there, you didn't wipe it out with an antibiotic, uh, the immune system knows that that bacteria should be left alone too. And a lot of times it starts attacking those bacteria, and before you know it, your gut is shot, your microbiome is shot. Um, things are getting into your bloodstream that shouldn't, like partially digested food proteins, and then this is this triggers the immune system even more. And um, you wake up one day, and your immune system has become incredibly interested in the tissues of your colon or your pancreas or your thyroid or your joints. I mean, it just depends on what flavor of autoimmune you get varies from person to person, but it's really all the same thing. So that's how you get this.
0: Hey guys, what's up, it's Corey back in the studio. I just wanted to take a quick second from my interview with Pam Popper and talk to you about Four Sigmatic. Okay, I mentioned him at the top of the show, but guys, this is something that I incorporate into my life every day now. They call, it's called mushroom coffee, okay? Four Sigmatic is one of the leading companies that came out with this mushroom coffee. Right now I'm drinking the mushroom mocha mix. It is amazing. It's got chaga and cacao in it. Now chaga, is something that mellows you out right which is weird for a coffee because you've got coffee and you think about jitters and energy and caffeine right well there's half there's half the caffeine in these medicinal mushrooms and this mushroom coffee than there is in a normal cup of coffee. And it comes with all these different benefits, right? There's adaptogens. These are kind of like little tiny robots that go into your body and try to decide what you need and they give it to you as far as, do you need to lower your cortisol levels? Do you need maybe a little bit more natural energy? The type of energy that's gonna sustain, not spike immediately and then trail off. So. All this to say, look, I love their product. You guys know I only work with brands that I actually use, I love, and I've got a couple boxes of the Four Sigmatic mushroom coffee right here. So if you wanna check it out, head on over foursigmatic.com slash leangreendad. That's F-O-U-R sigmatic.com, S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash leangreendad. It'll give you 15% off of your order. It's a great deal. It's a very affordable product, especially for what you're getting. These medicinal mushrooms are just absolutely incredible. They make me feel great. And you can drink. I have two. I have two a day. You know, I have one in the morning uh, after I do like my lemon water mixture. And then after that in the evening, you know, sometimes if I want to have a treat, I'll have some. Uh, they have a hot cocoa. They have so many different things. So go check them out again for a millionth time, for Sigmatic.com slash lean green dead. all right let's get back to the interview with pam yeah there's there when things are just spinning completely out of control you've got to go to the doctor and you have to get on medication and you know being familiar with rheumatoid arthritis you know that there's those iv treatments where you go in and they're just meant to suppress the immune system I, is there some truth to that i mean is if there if things are completely out of control and you are just an absolute mess. Is is there some some truth to, to getting you on one of those immune suppressing drugs as you kind of work your way back into the low residue diet and you try to get off those meds as soon as possible? That kind of thing.
1: Well, we don't do low residue diets, but I think I don't think you can make a blanket statement about it. Okay. Uh, I've seen people the, the, the average person who we've worked with is having 20 bloody bowel movements a day in spite of taking those drugs. And and that's that's the thing that I think we have to impress on everybody is that if you have inflammatory bowel disease, um, most autoimmune diseases by their very nature are relapsing and remitting, and particularly multiple sclerosis and IBD, which means that it'll come and go for a period of time until it just becomes steadily progressing. And so what will happen is that each of the drugs that you take works for a very short period of time. And sometimes I think drugs take responsibility or take credit, that's a better way to put it for a remission, it might've happened anyway, but but um, you get to a place where that drug doesn't work anymore. So you move your way up the food chain until you're doing the biologics and the immunosuppressant drugs, actually chemotherapy. Um, that doesn't work anymore. Then you start surgically removing pieces of the GI tract. And then when that doesn't work anymore, you probably will die in early death. So the medication does nothing but suppress symptoms for a short period of time. And, uh, and eventually, like I said, we've had people on Remicade, for example, Um, Who it's like they weren't taking any drug at all. So you talk about things being out of control. They're out of control even on the drugs. So the thing to do is and and I tell anybody this, um, you certainly can't promise everybody that they're going to get better but if there are continual flares like this if a person's ending up back in the doctor's office for more drugs then there's still something going on that isn't being resolved and it is not as simple as just changing the diet that's an important part of it but there's a lot more to it and um there's a there's a you always read these stories online and i believe they're always true but there's somebody who, who says I just started eating a plant-based diet and my colitis went away. I believe it's true. It's just that that's not usually what happens. And so you want to get out of that constant flare uh, again and again, because sooner or later it will keep progressing in spite of eating well, and uh, you'll end up um, you know, in, in a real mess.
0: Well, mm-hmm. let, let's talk about some foods that are beneficial to help you on your journey if you do suffer from IBD. Um, I, I'm sure that there's is everybody different? Are there certain things that certain people react to differently? Or is there is there some food that, in general, we know that you can eat if you do have IBD and you suffer from some of these symptoms?
1: Well, the, the, there's generally an anti-inflammatory diet. That, that's the first thing, is that a, a whole foods, plant-based diet is generally anti-inflammatory. Um, but having said that, if you eat perfectly and you don't fix that gut, and that has to be done with the use of probiotics. And in a very specific way, by the way, Um, probably 95% of the people coming in here are taking probiotics because that's the fashionable thing to do now. They're just taking a product that can't ever help them. I mean, you know, sometimes it's because the dose is too low, like you're on track to heal your gut by the year 2081, or it's because the product is is too many strains and all this sort of thing. So the first thing is you've got to have a properly dosed and and, um, progressing, A probiotic regimen that restores that gut. Um, The second thing is you got to stop perturbing the immune system. All right, so. You, you've got to stop. If you have allergies, we've got to fix that. Because as long as that immune system is triggering, 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 you're, you're, you're susceptible to another attack. So you got to deal with all those things. Um, generally speaking, the, the key with somebody who's got active disease, in other words, at this point in time, they're either taking medication, and it isn't working, or they're at that place where they're thinking, I'm going to need some medication. You want to put them on an anti-inflammatory diet, which is a plant-based diet, starting with a very narrow range of cooked foods, and then working your way up to introduce um, foods in a very specific way, one at a time um, until the gut is healed up and it's, it's, you know, replenished based on taking a good probiotic regimen. And then there can be some fairly normal plant-based eating. Um, It'll always be lower in fat. There will be smaller quantities of some types of foods like legumes that tend to trigger uh, a little more gas and discomfort, but other than that, it will be fairly typical of the way that most of us eat. And most people, mo- I would say, most of the people will stay in remission as long as they're pretty compliant on that diet.
0: Neat, that's interesting. Um, the the cooked foods you talked about does that include if you were to try to do something like a smoothie? Um, would is would a smoothie be something a good good to start off on?
1: No, absolutely not. Uh, We're talking about like rice and squash and potatoes, you know. Okay. Potato,
0: squash, brown rice, steamed veggies, uh, cooked fruit, maybe one to two servings a day of cooked uh, fruit.
1: You got to be really careful about that. And and let's not get into prescribing specific diets. Um, the, The big thing is, and I'll tell you where this comes from, talk about it from a conceptual standpoint, is that When I started looking into this, what if you look at the typical things that are done for IBD patients? They almost all get to a place where they have to be hospitalized, and then they put them on either IV solutions or an, an elemental diet, which is essentially fortified water. I started looking at this elemental diet and the fortified water. I thought, for the life of me, and I think I'm pretty knowledgeable about this, I can't figure out what is in fortified water that would heal anybody, right? And so I started thinking, what if it's not What's in it, but it's what's not in it. Okay. What if it's because there's no intact protein in most of these? What if it's because there's no fat? And that's the key. Well, if you look at it from that standpoint, what are some foods that are low in protein, low in fat? Squash, potatoes, rice. Okay. So, so you basically try to take some nutritious foods, a group of nutritious foods that meet that same nutritional profile. Only they're good for you, not just you know, give them calories that don't upset their system. And, and then you have a chance to start healing up this inflammation. So really simple diet excludes most things, um, very specific on which um, foods you can eat in these various categories. And then you can start to see some healing happen. Uh, what about gluten? Is all gluten bad or are, are, there,
0: are there some, like a whole wheat bread or something like that, that uh, that's fine?
1: Um, let's talk about the gluten issue, because I, I want to make sure that we don't have misunderstandings on this issue. You know, we have a lot of people writing crazy books about the fact that gluten is everybody's problem. And, and, and I'll tell you, they did us a great big favor when they wrote these crazy books, because the market for gluten-free products is really robust. And you could actually call Domino's Pizza, and they will deliver a gluten-free, cheese-free pizza to your door. Now, I'm not suggesting that's great food, but I'll tell you what, it kind of tells you First of all, you don't want to hear anybody saying, this is so hard, really? Okay, dominoes will bring you the right? So <laughs> it's not so hard. Um, but having said that, this, this is how I view gluten and then I'm gonna answer your question real specifically. So you have celiac patients who absolutely, positively cannot have even a tiny drop of gluten because it will flatten out the villi and keep them from absorbing nutrients from their food. And that's why celiac patients, you'll see them in the grocery store reading the soy sauce bottle to make sure there's no gluten in it. And, and that's what they have to do. You even, even cross-contamination in the toaster oven at home you know—is is a problem. So that's one category of people. Then you've got a category of people who have what's called non-glutens, uh, non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And this is poo pooed a lot by doctors, but the medical journals have quite a few articles showing that people who say, hey, I'm gluten intolerant. I know I am because when I eat all wheat pasta, I get bloated and gassy. Well, in blind oral challenges, they really do respond. Like if you put them on rice protein and then you cross them over to um, gluten. Instead, um, they start to have symptoms. They don't know what they're getting when. So, so this is a real thing. And it's a small percentage of the population. Then you have your autoimmune patients who really have to stay away from high-gluten foods like barley, rye, oats, and wheat. Um, and they have to do it for life. And, and the reason is, there's, and, and this is very, very important, the person who has one autoimmune disease, if he or she lives long enough, will develop more of them. Okay, It's just a matter of time. The, the, the number, it's almost 100%. I had somebody in here a few weeks ago who has seven autoimmune diseases. It started oh, with a patch, oh. a little bit of patchy uh, psoriasis when she was a kid and it grew from there. All right, so why is this important? Well, we got to fix that gut. We got to restore the immune system. We got to do all these things. But as um, these proteins leak into the, into the uh, immune system and the body creates antibodies, there are a couple of food proteins where the amino acid chains that make them up Look very much like the amino acid chains that make up tissues of the body, and one of them is gluten, and one of them is dairy. And so we take out the high gluten foods to avoid that triggering. So for life, they restrict barley, rye, oats, and wheat. Browse mm. them.
0: Interesting. So it really depends on the person, and that kind of that's in line with seeing the right doctor, uh, seeing the right you, the right Pam Popper. You know, you got to find a Pam Popper, and they're tough to find. They are tough they to are. find.
1: Uh, And and the key is that that goes back to informed decision making. People write here all the time and they want us to refer them to doctors and we don't really have a referral list and we don't refer to anybody we don't train. But having said that, what you do and what we do is we prepare people to be able to interact with our doctors. So so the typical medical doctor interaction is, I don't know anything about this. I'm the patient. I don't know anything. You're the doctor. So you're going to tell me what to do. And because I have no ability to even engage in a conversation with you, I'm going to say, okay. You tell me what to do. We call that informing. I say, OK, we call that consenting. All right. So in this new model of medicine that we're promoting here, the knowledgeable patient goes into the doctor and the doctor says, well, you know, we probably should do a round of steroids. And the, and the patient says, I understand why you're saying that, but I have a different plan and I'm going to show you what it is and why. And that's what I'm going to do. And if this doesn't work, then I'll be back for the steroids. And so, uh, you know, and and this is a point that goes beyond IBD. One of the reasons why people are so frustrated in trying to have a conversation with their doctors is they're not having the right conversation. You'd be surprised how many doctors become reasonable when they understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. Instead of they hear this all day long. I don't want to take drugs. Well, you have to okay, well, that's a fruitless conversation, right? Right. I don't wanna do it, you say I have to, all right, so here's our impasse. It's different when you go in and say, I have information, I would like to talk to you about it. I would like to propose a plan where we do something and our fallback position is I'll come back in and take drugs or I'm doing this now and I'd like to be weaned off the drugs and here's some information we can talk about. So you can understand a medical doctor is not gonna put his reputation on the line saying, oh, you don't wanna take drugs, okay. Stop, right? I mean, the community standard of practice, there's no, there's no discussion about evidence and that sort of thing. So it's really important. You talk about finding the right doctor. What you're looking for is the doctor who's willing to engage in a collaborative discussion with you based on evidence. Doesn't have to really understand this or be plant-based or, or anything like that. They just really have to be respectful and then you have to do your part to go in with information so that the doctor can become comfortable.
0: It's, it's so smart. It's so intelligent and it makes so much sense, but we just don't think of it when we're in our most desperate hour. So thank you for reminding us all of how to be informed patients, uh, mm-hmm. which will be the actual title of our video. <laughs>
1: we're not going
0: <laughs> to no, do some kind of silly clickbait thing here, no. Um, okay, one, one more subject and then I'm going to let you go. Um, prebiotics and probiotics. Yeah. The difference between the two, how do they work together and how much of them do we need on a daily basis? If we're eating a whole food plant-based diet, do we really need to supplement with prebiotics and probiotics? And by the way, that's, a, that's, that's an informed question, yeah, already is. knowing your answer,
1: okay? <laughs> well, yeah, so the first thing is that, that um, understanding that, that this bacteria in your gut, it's not part of your body. Okay, these are, I, I always put it this way, because I'm a real visual person and I explain by analogy. These critters rent space. And here's the rental agreement, all right? So here's what I said to my bacteria when I was born. All right, you get to live in me for free and I'll take care of the food and you get to see the world on me. in return for doing that, what I want you to do is control my immune system, help me absorb the nutrients from food, and keep things out of my bloodstream that shouldn't get in. And by the way, these guys also help to manufacture your happy chemicals like serotonin and melatonin. So they do all kinds of things. All right. So here's what's happened with a lot of us. We have broken the contract big time. All right. Because the pathogenic bacteria and we all have a little bit of that in our gut. um, They like the remnants of animal food and they like um, refined food. They like fat a lot. Your healthy bacteria, they like carbohydrate and fiber. And those are the most that's what most of these bacteria are. So so when you eat a terrible diet, you're preferentially feeding the bad guys. And you're starving out the good guys that could do all those wonderful things for you. And it's very difficult. You can't heal it because it's not you. You know, it's like standing on the sidewalk in front of the apartment building you own. And this unit doesn't have a tenant and thinking, if I just think about it long enough, a tenant will appear. You got to go get a tenant and put them in the apartment, right? So so that's why you're going to take probiotics. If you've taken antibiotics or if you've been eating conventionally grown animal food, it all contains antibiotics. People say, I've never taken a prescription. I tell them, Do you, have you been eating chicken? Believe me, you've taken lots of prescriptions, right? <laughs> so you get to a certain point through a variety of things, including your diet, where you have to replenish. And probiotics are the, are you're literally taking bacteria in, orally, and it goes down and it starts making, if you're taking the right ones, making colonies in your GI tract. Prebiotics are like fertilizer, right? So one of the things you want to do is you don't want to fertilize until you plant. So that's one of the mistakes that people will make with a probiotic. So if my lawn is mostly dandelions, we don't want to apply any fertilizer now. We want to kill off the dandelions, build some more grass and then fertilize. So prebiotics can be really helpful once you get those colonies going to sort of fertilize them and make them grow faster.
0: Isn't that funny? You do the pro, pro, I mean, the word pre itself makes you think that you need to put the prebiotics in first yeah. and build those up. It is the opposite. Exactly. It's exactly. interesting. Fascinating. And, and, you know, you see all these numbers on the, on the bottles for 4 billion, 3 million, 30 million, all this stuff. Is, is there a number that you look at when you're, when you're doing these things that you're like, ah, eh, under this number, like why even bother?
1: Well, it depends because if your system is really upset, probiotics do not have dangerous side effects. However, they can make you uncomfortable. And sure. so um, uh, going back to IBD, which is what we're talking about, when somebody has, we've just used the, the bland cooked food diet to get somebody to the place where their inflammation levels have come down. and um, And now we're going to start restoring that gut because that's where that that's the immune system we have to do that Um, well you don't want to use a real high potency product because if the person they don't need any more gas and bloating believe me so so you'd use a pretty low potency product and for some people they're so fragile that you even use a child product Um, eventually though you want to up the doses to a place where you're taking some pretty hefty amounts and there's something called medical food where you're taking like 450 or 500 billion of these critters and you can't even fit it in a capsule. It's a powdered mix that you have to, have to mix with water or food or something.
0: Mm, so, yeah, I've seen those VSLs more. of the world, I think it's VSL or something like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: that's but... one of the brands. Yeah, they're yeah. a good product, very good so, product.
0: Can't take too many probiotics folks, just.
1: Uh... Well, and most of us have done some damage. You know, the, it's difficult to be, like I'm 61. I don't know many people in my age range who haven't been eating a lot of animal food, a lot of fat too much alcohol, um, a lot of junk food. Um, so, you know, most of us have damaged our, and, and a few rounds of antibiotics and birth control pills and steroids and NSAIDs. NSAIDs are bad for your gut. That kills off bacteria. What are
0: those?
1: NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, which I don't think you should even be able to get out over the counter. I think they should hmm. be able only, so um, so most of us have done some damage, and and um, so that's the you know B twelve is a supplement that I think vegans should take in small doses, and I think most of us have done enough damage to our poor little guts that we probably could use some probiotics.
0: Interesting. Well, um, listen, it's been an absolutely amazing conversation. You are a wealth of knowledge. You're an excellent speaker, and you communicate things in a way that makes so much sense to even someone with a very, very low level of knowledge on the medical industry. So that's why people love you. That's why I'm so honored to have you. And thank you for taking the time to be with us today.
1: Thank you. This was fun. We'll do it again.
0: All right. Hey, everybody, what's up? It's Corey back in the studio. Thank you so much for making it through another episode of Lean Green Dad Radio. But hey, don't let your experience end here. Visit us online at leangreendad.com. There you can maybe try one of our free plant-based meal plans free for 30 days through prepare you can find all that information on the homepage. we've also got a facebook twitter pinterest instagram we've got it all going on for you so come follow us come check us out and celebrate this plant-based lifestyle that you are going to try to dive into uh either way i hope that you have a wonderful week and you keep going that extra mile for your family until next week my friends have a great week